0: From Las Vegas, you're listening to Verve. Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. So some years ago, my family was driving from Virginia, where we lived at the time, to New Jersey. My wife was driving and I was uh, in the passenger seat reading a book. And she kept saying, hey, hey, look at this guy. Uh, he was in the car in front of us. He was driving a, a blue car, and he was all by himself, and he was dancing. Like, his head is bopping. He's doing moves. Like, he is all over the place. And we're behind him just laughing at him. And then I would go back to read my book, and then my wife would be like, hey, look, and, and he'd be doing this new... I mean, he was into it. And then I'm reading my book, and all of a sudden she goes, what? Check this out. The guy had slid over and was now in the passenger side. No one is at the wheel and he's dancing over here. And it was like, we're like, how? Like he had, he had been in the driver's seat, but he's now in the passenger seat. How? So 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 my best guess, no, my only guess is that he must have been steering with his left hand and had his left foot on the gas pedal so he could be over on the right side because he's now all all alone, still, he's sitting in the passenger side, but he's still driving the car and he is still dancing over there too. So here's my goal for today. I I want to, to get you to move from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. We're doing a series called God for the Rest of Us. We're learning that God is for people who might not think God is for them, which means God is for you. He loves you. He likes you. He wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Today, we're gonna learn that God is for the control freaks. Control freaks. Now, I wonder if you are a control freak. So I'll share with you maybe some signs that you might be. Like you might be a control freak if... Your four favorite words are, I told you so. Or your three least favorite words are, I was wrong. Uh, You might be a control freak if someone else driving is an issue. If someone else holding the remote control is an issue. Uh, You might be a control freak if you don't understand why no one else understands why you have your pantry color-coded. If... You don't have opinions, they're all facts. If physically you're here, you're watching FURB online. Mentally, you're planning out your week. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I am a control freak. Or maybe not so much. Either way, we're going to learn something really important about God and the better life he has for us today. So we, we live uh, in a culture that cultivates control issues. Uh, We are taught to be independent. That's a control issue. We're taught to do it yourself. That's a control issue. Uh, We want to be in charge. We believe that we can uh, have all the information we need and all the answers we need. We just get on our computer, our phones. The reality is that our world is just as unpredictable as it ever was. But because we have more information, We feel like we have more control. We don't. Uh, But we can't stand the thought that we might not be in control. We crave control. So much so that we imagine we have control even when we don't. There is a psychologist named Ellen Langer. She coined the term illusion of control. We like to imagine we have control even when we have none. And we can't handle not being in control. So as a coping mechanism, we'll find ways to feel like we are. Uh, Jennifer Dukes, in her book, It's All Under Control, uh, interprets our craving for control as believing I'm safer and more secure if I'm in charge. That's why we, we create this illusion of control, because it makes us feel safe. The problem is... Um, Our need to be in control has costs. There there are costs like uh, anxiety. You you may not realize that's a source of your anxiety, but there's anxiety because we have to know everything and do everything and be in charge of everything. That's a lot of everything, right? And, and, And there's anxiety when our illusion of control is shattered and we realize we've been seeking refuge in a lie. We were never really in control. Trying to control leads to anxiety. What's crazy is that we're anxious and we think it's because we don't have enough control. So we try to have more control, but that just makes us more anxious. It's like we're trying to treat the sickness with its cause. We, we just want more control and we think we can get it. Like if we just know more. So remember uh, when COVID first hit America and started spreading and and at first there was a sense of uh oh what is this we, we we realized we don't have control over this and so what a ton of us did is we watched the news we we googled and we researched we were trying to understand what was happening? Because we have this sense like if I just understand what's happening, right? And, and don't we, we should know more soon? Like it'd give us some semblance of control, but no, it's just an illusion. Control produces anxiety. Another cost to our controlling is exhaustion because it's, it's tiring to have to be in control, to always be in the driver's seat. There's a lot of pressure. You you, you have to make sure everything is moving forward in your life and everything works out right. It's exhausting. It can lead to burnout. There's also the cost that comes with trying to control what people think of us. we, We want people to think highly of us and like us. And so what we do is we try to control our image, right? But that creates even more anxiety, and it can create a false self. And instead of just being ourselves, we can become, honestly, intentionally deceptive because we're trying to control what other people think of us. Not only that, we also try to control other people, and there is a cost with that because, I don't know if you realize this, but people do don't like to be controlled so they will push back against you they'll resent you that 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 may explain uh, issues that you've never really understood in your marriage or with your kids or employees It's like you're trying to control them and they don't like it but you don't even realize you're controlling uh, one more cost of control there's many more but one more I'll mention is that there is, a, there is a cost in our relationship with God, a big one. Um, we end up with a powerless faith. Now, our faith is supposed to be a trust in God who is all-powerful, who is in control. But we put our faith more in ourselves, pretending we have power, pretending that we are in control. And so we miss out on what a real relationship with God is like and what it could and should do in our lives. And we we end up with a boring faith. Because God wants to lead us. He has plans for our lives. But if we stay in control, we miss out on his bigger, better plans. And we just stick with our boring one really what we do and this seems crazy it seems crazy to even say this but it is what we do is we try to control god and i say we because i realize i do this so uh, like i see this in my prayer life you know most of my prayers are me telling god what i need when i need it and the best way for him to do it and yes god does invite me to ask him for things he is cool with that but if He's God. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. Shouldn't I want to serve him more than I want him to serve me? Shouldn't I be asking more questions than giving advice? We could picture it this way. Um, let's say you're driving down the road. You're on a long road trip, okay? drive down the road, long road trip. Suddenly there... On the side of the road, you see God. He's standing there. And so you pull over. Two options. One, you tell God, hey, God, cool. Jump in the passenger seat. Let's go. Why? Why would you let God into your car on your journey? Well, uh, you think you might like him. And he's God. Cool. It could be cool to have him on your side, right? And, you know, like you, you, your, your car might break down. It could, I bet you could probably help with that. Uh, plus, you might need someone to talk to. It's a long journey. Sometimes you'll be by yourself. You could talk to him, right? And uh, snacks. Maybe he'll be cool and buy you some snacks, you know, on your stops and stuff. And, and so you invite him into the passenger seat to go on your journey with you. That's the first option. Second option, you're driving down the road, long road trip. Uh, you you see, standing on the side of the road, God, you pull over and you're like, hey, God, cool, you drive. I'm going to scoot over to the passenger seat. You take me wherever you want to go. The second option is what it means to be a Christian. But we want to be in control. We all have this human tendency to choose option one. God is really the one in control, but we want control. We want to drive. But God, God is asking you for the steering wheel. And today I want to encourage you to give up control and give it to God, to let God drive. I want to... um To help us understand this and think about this, I want to show you a story in the Bible. So, in John chapter 2, just before verse 23, there's a heading. It says, Jesus and Nicodemus. And I I want to show you what happens with Jesus and Nicodemus. But their interaction actually starts in John chapter 3. So, John chapter 2, with some verses left, says, Jesus and Nicodemus... But we don't see Nicodemus until chapter 3. What happens in chapter 2 is that we see Jesus do his first miracle. Um, He he provides wine, a lot of wine, a lot of really good wine for a party. And and these people witness it. And they're starting to realize, man, Jesus is special. He has power. Maybe he really is from God. Maybe he really is God. And, And look at how that story, the story of Jesus, again, Nicodemus hasn't come in yet, The story of Jesus uh, providing all this wine for the party, um, which is what is given to us as the introduction to the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus. It says, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And this is so interesting. It's not like Jesus is with this with everyone. It's not like, well, he never trusted anyone. No, he, he wasn't. So why was he like this with these people? Why wouldn't he trust them? We don't know. But, but it was something about their faith, right? Something about their faith. So here's what I wonder. I wonder if maybe it was because their faith came just from seeing a miracle. And so maybe their faith was just based on what Jesus could do for them. Maybe they believed in Jesus the same way teenagers believe in their uncle who's willing to buy them beer. It's not like I'm going to surrender my life to him. I just want him to get me stuff. I I don't know, but maybe. Whatever their problem is, it seems that Nicodemus is an example of the problem. Because John, the the author of this letter, uh, this book of the Bible, he uses those verses to introduce the story of Nicodemus. And here's how that story Begin So John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes in, even though this is kind of, you know, brought us to Nicodemus. Um, it says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So the, the Pharisees were the religious leaders, and everyone back then would have told you, and they are the people who can teach you about God and a relationship with him. Uh, verse 2, after dark one evening, he, Nicodemus, Came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So Nicodemus shows uh, some respect for Jesus. Like uh, the people at the end of John chapter two that we just saw, Nicodemus has seen that Jesus can do miracles. He's impressed and he tells Jesus. And then Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa, Nicodemus believed in God. He taught people about God, but Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Kind of like, you've gotten it all wrong. You're going to have to start all over. Wow. What did he have wrong? Well, look what Jesus says uh, to him next. Here's the next verses. He says to him, you must be born again. He says, humans can can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants just as you hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So Jesus starts, there's a human way to go about this, which is exactly the way Nicodemus has gone about this. Like Nicodemus and all the Pharisees, they took the rules that God had given And added more rules to them, lots more rules to them, because they wanted to control people. They acted like they were sinless because they wanted to control their image. And they had the whole God thing on lock, all wrapped up under their control. That's the human way. Believe in God, but you stay in charge. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, there's a, a human way to do this. And then he says, but the Holy Spirit. Says, so There's a human way, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God with us. God in us. See, and this is so important. Listen, Jesus did not come just to remove sins. He came to move sin out of the way so we could have God with us. And God with us is the Holy Spirit. Uh, God made a promise way, way back before Jesus came uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, He says, I will put my spirit within you. And then Jesus comes, and so now it can happen. Uh, The Bible says we can be filled with the spirit. Jesus did not come just to remove sins. He came to move sin out of the way so that he could lead us. And God leading us is the Holy Spirit. To follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit is what it means to belong to God. Uh, look what the Bible says in Romans eight fourteen. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. God comes as the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to be in us, to lead us, to lead us into the life he has for us. Which means you don't get to be in control. You don't get to be in control. In fact, what it means to be a Christian, to to surrender your life to God, is that you give him control. You don't get to decide for you anymore. You give him the steering wheel. You slip over into the passenger side and you let God drive. I I think that's what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. That's why he says, hey, so don't be surprised. He says, um, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. You can hear the wind, but can't tell the wind where it comes from or where it comes. It is going. Man, um, here's something super cool. The word for spirit in the Bible, like Holy Spirit, is also the word for wind. Same word, ruach. Uh, It's the Hebrew word ruach. When you see wind in the Bible, it is translated from the word ruach. When you see spirit in the Bible, it's also translated from the word ruach. And so Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and when he's kind of doing some play on words here. The, and what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is like wind. You, you don't know where or when it will blow or where it will take you. Um, throughout the years, people have tried to, uh, to capture who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he does in our lives through nicknames. Like uh, you may have heard the Holy Spirit called the Holy Ghost which I guess is because you can't see him. He's kind of like a ghost in that way. Uh, Others have called the Holy Spirit the indweller. Indweller, because he lives in us, he dwells in us. Personally, I think the indweller sounds kind of like a bad 80s hair metal band. Uh, But but maybe my favorite nickname for the Holy Spirit comes from the early Middle Ages in the British Isles. Uh, They called the Holy Spirit the wild goose. The wild goose. Why the wild goose? Because a wild goose cannot be tamed and cannot be tracked. A wild goose is completely unpredictable. You cannot control a wild goose, just like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot be tamed or tracked. The Holy Spirit is unpredictable. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus you can't have a real relationship with God and stay in control. You can't. You have to give up control. And that is scary, right? Giving up control is scary for us control addicts. Well, the, the great uh, Christian author and thinker, Henry Nouwen, he says one of the most arduous spiritual tasks is that of giving up control and allowing the Spirit of God to lead our lives. Yes, it is. <laughs> Giving up control is scary for us control addicts. Except, this might help, we never really had control in the first place. It's an illusion. I mean, you don't really know what's going to happen. You want to, you think you do, but you don't. Who who, who knows what will, what will really happen a year from now, even tomorrow? And we can't stop it from happening. We can't control what happens. We can't control the weather. We can't control politics. We can't control our kids. Honestly, we can't even control ourselves. We don't have control. You've never really had control. So, giving up control and giving it to God sounds scary, but you're not really giving up control. You're just giving up feeling like you have control. And that might be uncomfortable, but we remember that we are giving up to control to a God who loves us even more than we love us, who knows way more than we know. And we can trust him. We can trust him with the steering wheel. Giving up control is scary for us control addicts. It's, 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 it's unsettling, except... Do you know the other name for not having control? Adventure. Adventure, right? Like if you chase the wild goose, the Holy Spirit, he will take you to places you never could have imagined and down past you never knew existed. Is that unnerving? Sure, but it's also exhilarating. Your life is out of your hands. Someone else is leading you. Someone who loves you and has a bigger and better plan for your life. Who knows what's gonna happen? And that is not boring. You give up the steering wheel and you get an adventure. Now, if you would describe your life, your relationship with God as boring, as something less than an adventure, can I ask if it's possible that you have settled for something less than what God has for you. That you invited God into the car, but put him in the passenger seat. Instead of following Jesus, you're having him follow you. Instead of going wherever the spirit leads you, you're going where you want to go and hoping maybe the spirit comes with you. And so you don't have a spiritual adventure. You have spiritual boredom. Why? Because you've stayed in control. And I want to encourage you to give up control and give it to God, to let God drive, to put your trust in Jesus, to trust Him enough that you're willing to give up control, to truly put your trust in Jesus. How, how do you do that? Couple suggestions, couple suggestions. You can't manufacture trust. Okay, it's, it's never self-generated. So you can't say, all right, I'm gonna trust God more. Here's what you can do. You can get to know Jesus more. The more you know him, his faithfulness, his kindness, the more you'll trust him. So one thing you can do is you can read the gospels, the four books of the Bible that tell about Jesus' life here on earth, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Man, I would encourage you to read the gospels often, read them over and over, and you will learn to trust Jesus. You will want him to be in control of your life can't manufacture trust, but you can pray for it. I do this every morning I pray for God to help me trust him and let go of control. So every morning, uh, basically, you know, nine out of 10, I pray this prayer. I pray, I surrender my will and my life to you without reservation and with boundless confidence for you are my loving father. I pray that just about every day. And I pray this prayer, uh, father, I am indifferent to every outcome except your will. I want nothing more or less than your desire for my life. Also, uh, spiritual gurus say that the spiritual practices of silence and solitude help us give up control. So you, you get alone and you, just, you get quiet with God. You, you yield yourself to him. For at least a few minutes, you you just give up grasping and controlling. You're just quiet. You're just you, just you and God who is in you. Uh, it'll it'll be a little uncomfortable at first, because we're used to always doing something. That's okay if it's uncomfortable. You you may feel uh, you may feel like nothing is happening. Mm-mm, something is uh, the 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 inner. Chaos, created by continually trying to control, has a chance to settle down. You sitting there, quiet, uncomfortable, is you giving up control to God. Man, we want to completely give up control to God. All of us control freaks, we need to give control of every area of our lives to him. We want to move over to the passenger seat. God you drive. And I'm going to pray that for us. Uh, And then we're going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you just a a moment to pray on your own. And then I'm going to pray that for us. And then we got an announcement for you. And then we got a song of surrender. We're going to um, just lead you in a song just us surrendering to God. So let's have a little moment of silence and then we'll pray. God, even just sitting quietly for a second and taking some deep breaths. Man, it feels good. God, would you help us to be people uh, who really live the life you have for us? And it means letting go of the steering wheel. It means giving up control to you. Like you told Nicodemus, it means following the Holy Spirit who is like wind. We don't know where he's going to lead, when he's going to have us go, but we're just, we're just ready to follow. God, help us to trust you that much because you deserve our trust. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.